The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, incredible Chelsea, or should that be incredible, Sacra Blue, and correct the internet. Hi, it's Lindsay Hooper here with former Brighton defender and now the PFA Women's Football Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Officer, as well as a Sky Sports colleague, Fern Whelan. Hello, Fern. Hello, thank you for having me. Good to have you on. And also we're joined by the Athletics' Art de Roche. No period talk for you today, Art. I know you were our ex- expert for the last few episodes, but we're not doing that today. Hello, Art. Hi, thanks for having me again. And yeah, um, I- I'm not sure how to feel about that. I-, I was get, I feel like I was getting in my groove with it also. <laughs> Is this um, the reason that you came back on? You saw the running <laughs> order and you thought, right, that's fine. I can come on to this one. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I actually didn't mind it at all. It was quite good because then... Me and my mum actually spoke a bit about it afterwards. So glad to be on and talk football. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Well, we're almost into March. I can't believe where the year is going. And that means as well, when spring arrives, so does the end of both of the football seasons. We know we're into the final stretch. As well as that, in March, you may have seen some publicity around this, but to support ovarian cancer action, all in honour of Beth Mead's late mother, the media are pledging to walk 100 kilometres each to raise money. Producer Sophie and Charlotte Harper, who's a regular on the show from The Athletic as well, are taking part. We would encourage as well any of you listeners to get involved too. There is a page set up. You can either donate or do your own 100 kilometers and raise some cash. At the moment, I'm on the donating side, but I I may move over because I do a lot of dog walks. I think this would be quite easy for me to do. Fern, you are rehabbing. I feel like you've got a great excuse right now, but you could do 100 of something, right? Yeah, I'd say so. I think I had a look into it, actually, and I think I would love to get involved and support. Uh, I think I'm going to do it on the bike. I think I'd be yes. good for that. I st- started on the bike last week, which was progress. Not quite walking around yet, but I think I could do 100k on the bike. So, yeah, I'd like to get involved and join in for sure. Brilliant. And Art, maybe maybe you get to support Charlotte on her mission. Pep talks. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're both in the office at the minute, so I'll give her a big pep talk when we're done. (laughs) Yeah, we're picking the wrong day for Art because he was already frazzled before we came on the show. He's got loads going on. This is the the world of a journalist with lots of different deadlines, I imagine. But we won't throw something else into the mix for you, Art. Not right now. We'll revisit. Beth Mead is also, of course, rehabbing her knee as well as you, Fern. Uh, She's doing that at the moment. We heard some encouraging signs from her. She was saying that really you know, to get back for the World Cup will be hard, but that she is really hopeful that she can make the World Cup with the Lionesses and that she, uh, I think she's just going to basically throw off the shackles and whatever doctors say, she's just going to go against it and try her best to be there. The Lionesses won the Arnold Clark Cup last week. We had some insight into what we think Serena Wiegmann's starting 11 might look like. But of course, if Mead can get back, that will change the shape of the attacking lineup somewhat. Beth has just missed out, actually, on the FIFA Best Award. Instead, it was Alexia Pateas who took the crown. And this was announced after we recorded the show. But here's the Athletics' Laia Saveo with her reaction from Barcelona. 
So Alexia Putellas won her second FIFA The Best in a row in Paris last night. She repeats last year's success. This award comes on top of the second Golden Ball she won in October. The Catalan player completed an unbeatable season with FC Barcelona in the League and Cup and came within a whisker of winning the Champions League again. Despite that, it has not been the best year for the midfielders. Alexia missed the Euro Cup due to injury, from which she is still recovering. She's expected to return to the squad towards the end of the season. Barca are missing her goals and her absence definitely is being felt by Jonathan Giraldez's team. Some Spanish media outlets this morning said that Alexia would not be the winner, so it came quite as a surprise in Spain, even she was one of the favorites to win the award. This award ratifies her one more year as the best player in the world. If you like the idea of being a winner, maybe not for your tricks and action on the pitch, but football related, you can be a winner here on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Uh, we've got an exciting competition where you could get your hands on tickets for the Conti Cup final this Sunday. It's the 5th of March. What we'll do is we'll tweet out a question on at the Athletic FC. So go to that account, look out for it and get answering. It's open to UK residents over 18. So sorry to our international listeners. T's and C's apply. You can see the Athletic website for details. The final is between Chelsea and Arsenal. You don't want to miss it. We've already had uh, a warm-up this weekend in the FA Cup and only a week afterwards we're going to see them in this final. So let's hear how the last encounter went. Wins it back. It's a good ball to Chankovic. Here's Sam Yes, Chelsea knocked out their rivals Arsenal with a 2-0 win at Kings Meadow in the FA Cup. Sam Kerr, despite all the miles that she's put in lately on international duty, scored in her 100th game for the Blues. Uh, there was a bit of confusion over this. Fern, I'm going to bring you in first. It's all about the number of goals, maybe shining a light on the fact that the stats in the women's game still need some work. But uh, there is confusion over how many goals she's scored in 100 appearances. Chelsea tweeted to say 78. The media, of which I'm included, we have a different list, which says 82. What do we think about that? And is that something that we can start to address in years to come, do you think, the accuracy of all these stats that we're collating? Yeah, you know, potentially could we make them a little bit more centralised as to where we get our stats from. I think you're right, as I was watching it yesterday on the BBC, I think they reported, as I said, 82, 81. And then it's, Chelsea put the big tweet out, 78. So it's more of where we're getting our stats from. Are they in a centralised place? Are we kind of just all plucking from our own different resources? Um, and it's similar to the the work I'm doing with the PFA, in fact, in terms of you know, terms of like diversity and things like that, where we're trying to collate our stats and our data from everyone's collating their own separate data and stats. Whereas if we could get to a more centralised model, I think it would be more helpful for everyone, really, just so we we know Mm. it's accurate rather than the fact that we're just all drawing it from here, there and everywhere, because we know how important stats and data are. It's just making sure that it's actually correct in the first place. Arsenal in this FA Cup game, they had 20 shots, 11 were on target, but they didn't score any of them. Chelsea, much reduced, was seven shots, three on target, but they scored two of them. They're not needing to create as much because they're able to finish probably a lot of this down to Sam Kerr and the the amazing threat that she has. But 
I just wondered with with Beth Mead out with this injury, the ACL that she's trying to get back in time from for the World Cup, uh, Viv Miedemar also out with an ACL. Is this where we're starting to see how much they added to Arsenal and, and that they managed to maybe paper over the cracks for a while, but it's starting to tell? Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, that they had plenty of chances, as we've seen there, 11 shots on target. You'd expect them to be at least putting, you know, at least two of them away and, you know, some of them in the first half were, were very good chances. We had Blackstenius, you know, she blazed one over the bar, which, as you say, a Miedemar or a Beth Mead probably wouldn't have done. They'd have got it on target at least, um, which is, you know, quite uncharacteristic of teams in an Arsenal side. You'd expect them to be putting them away. And, you know, in the first half, they did create the better of the chances Arsenal, I thought. I thought they, you know, they were very dominant in times in possession and they had a lot of joy down Chelsea's right-hand side. They they just couldn't put the ball in the box. Whereas, as you say, with Chelsea, they didn't need that. They had Sam Kerr to be able to do that. And, you know, they've obviously got Lauren James in the side now who is creating things for them left, right and centre. So they've got the players that are going to, you know, create that little bit of, what is it, a little bit of spark maybe, a little bit of magic, which I think Arsenal are lacking. They just don't seem to have that spark in front of goal, even if they are creating those shots and chances. They just don't seem to look like they're going to be scoring, which is crazy considering how well they're doing going forward. You know, Idaville says, you know, the, the chances are coming, which, you know, Man United say the same, Mark Skinner says the same, but unless you put the chance in the back of the net, then you, you don't win trophies. So that that definitely needs to improve from them. It does feel like the calm heads of Chelsea are oozing through as well. You get to this point in the season and you see that sometimes when there are must-not-lose games, certainly if you've got aspirations when it comes to cup competitions, then there can be a bit of a cautious approach. But it feels like that experience Chelsea have, they know just how to play it right down the middle. They don't go too brave and leave themselves exposed but they don't they don't either you know take their foot off the gas they they're always there ready and actually i wanted to bring that back to you firm because as a defender flo lloyd hughes was pointing out about this that it might actually be that it's arsenal sloppy defending that's got more to answer for than the absentees is that something that you think is credible an argument that we should be looking into more i mean i don't think you can take away the fact that they're not scoring goals in front of goal i think that's a massive part that we'd be talking a very different conversation had those clear-cut chances gone in the back of the net. But yeah, for me as a defender, I think what I'm looking at in terms of Arsenal is a lot of times yesterday they caused their own problems. So, you know, playing out from the back, they were sloppy. They were giving the ball away far too easily. And then that was allowing Chelsea to, to counter on them. So not necessarily from open play in terms of the way they set up defensively. It was more from when they had their own possession. They were then giving it away to Chelsea then allowing them to to come on to them and create the chances, which is where the, the second goal came from with Sam Kerr. Like for me, I think for the first goal, defensively, it wasn't just the back line, it was from the midfield. So Sophie Ingles being allowed to drift off the midfield, drift off McCabe's shoulder. Um, no one knows who's got her. She's in between the back line and the midfield. And, you know, your, your basics as a defender is your communication. So, mm. so who's got the player? Who's marking them? If you haven't got her from the midfield, has the defence picked up? Has the defender, that centre-back said, no, I'll accept her. You can pass her on. It didn't look like that. And Ingle just drifted in between and slotted it home really comfortably. So I think defensive frailties, yes, for me, it was communication between that back line and the midfield. And then, yeah, causing their own problems, playing out from the back. You could say, you know, you could argue, was it a case of there was no movement in front? as to why they were giving the ball away so easily. Were they struggling to find their way out or was it just complacency and that they were 
a little bit sloppy in the in the way they approach Chelsea and yeah for me it, it wasn't so much you know Lee Williamson looks like she's not doing a job Raphael looks like she's not doing a job it was more when they had the possession it was they cause themselves their own problems in my opinion Okay, Art, I must bring up one of our listeners' observations about fixture scheduling here. I think we're in that infancy as well of the game growing, that it's important for us to to take note of what fans are experiencing. And Steph said that as the Chelsea men's game kicked off at 1.30 with the women starting at 2 o'clock, the quote was, it would be nicer not to be at Kings Meadow with an earpiece in to follow the men's. So there's that clash of, of both first teams. Is that something that should be a thing of the past? Yeah, I I feel like the scheduling, especially in the WSL and, well, actually, obviously this was FA Cup, it suits TV watchers a lot more than the actual people going to the games. I remember last year from an Arsenal perspective, the men's team were playing Tottenham, again, like the Chelsea men's team this weekend, and the women's team were kicking off as that game finished against Manchester City. So that was pretty much some of the top teams in the WSL and they're having to fight for match going fans against their own men's team. And I don't really think that helps in any real way. Obviously you get more eyes on it from a broadcasting perspective, but if then the conversation a few months down the line becomes, Oh, now we want to have more games at the men's stadium and you haven't really properly built a, a base a base level audience at, at your own ground, it, it does hinder you, I think. And the one positive thing I think from a Chelsea perspective is they actually do sell out Kings Meadow quite often. It is quite hard to get a ticket there. So for them, I guess the the problem would have been more of just like an annoyance yesterday. But in the grand kind of scheme of things, I do feel like scheduling still needs to be kind of worked out in a better way. And I actually wanted to bring up a point in terms of just the football when Fern mentioned Arsenal in possession. The big kind of difference for me was I think I just saw a total different level of sharpness on the ball from Chelsea. They they did things in within one or two touches where, whereas Arsenal players took two, three, four, sometimes even five touches before making a pass. And that's where I saw, I guess, a real difference in terms of just how quickly they were able to move the ball and hurt you. Um, Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think it was the touches, yeah. Yeah, I, that's what I was getting at with the the calmness um, that they they exuded on the ball, and and that comes into it. I think is it's also knowing where each other is. So those yeah. one touch passes are so easy to do for Chelsea because they know everyone each other's roles. I, I don't know whether they're they're as aware now at Arsenal of what each player's responsibilities are like they once were. They used to be very much in the groove with that fern. I don't know whether you saw this as well. The pictures were going round on my. WhatsApp messages of Lydia Bedford in the Arsenal get-up in the warm-up. And we're all like, what? What's happened? Lydia Bedford has now joined Arsenal as an assistant coach. And perhaps her coming into the club can can help with that and the and the players knowing each other's roles a bit more. Yeah, definitely. I think she, you know, when she was at Leicester a time this season, the games I did get to watch Leicester play, they, you know, they were a very organised side. They can see the goals late on in games, but I think for the majority of the minutes within the games, they were quite organised, they were quite disciplined. They they did concede in the first half of a lot of the games. So I think she'll come in, 
to maybe steady that ship a little bit and, you know, can potentially take that onus off uh, Jonas a little bit in terms of she can maybe, you know, be specific in terms of organisation. As you said, <laughs> who knows each other's roles? Can you hear I'm me? I'm laughing. I'm laughing because the onus off Jonas the onus should be a Jonas. regular know, feature. It should be a feature on the show that we could do week in, week out. How do we take the onus off Jonas? <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. Well, you said it yourself. Lydia can do that now. But yeah, no, I just think she can... Uh, maybe offer that addition to maybe steady the ship a little bit in terms of organisation. Who knows each other's roles? Who's doing what? Potentially that might you know help them in the back end of this season. It's quite interesting that they brought in Patrick Wink- Winkvist, um, who is again another assistant kind of head coach, and he he's kind of more focused on set pieces. So Jonas in terms of taking the onus off. <laughs> taking the onus off you. I really started something. Really? You, have, you, have. Um, you can see that um, they're trying to get a bit more specific with a, a, a few roles. And obviously Lydia Bedford coming in a few weeks after Leanne Hall left would hopefully help them as well because they've been able to kind of sort that out, that role out quite quickly after her departure. In terms of strengthening and having a set piece coach, I think that that will massively help, as Art just said, in terms of like when I was at Notts County, like we did a lot of work on set pieces and famously scored that goal that Ellen oh, White yeah. scored where she bent it, you know, through through the wall and a little bit of argy-bargy between her and Laura Bassett. And it was touched to Ellen White! Beautifully worked! Fantastically finished! What a great pretending you're falling out and then nodding to the side for Ellen White. A great finish. That just shows how beneficial it is to have someone in your camp who knows about set pieces and can can do that because set pieces get your goals, especially when you've got an Arsenal via Chelsea and these teams play each other so often and you know they're trying to get the upper hand on each other and who can maybe offer that difference. So if you do have someone in there that can potentially bring a creative side to things and an exciting set piece. I don't think it's too, you know, it's too uplifting in the middle of the season. That potentially might be that little extra spark that they need. Mm -hmm. One other warning for Chelsea before we move on is that Sam Kerr will have had another week's rest despite all the mileage (laughs) she's put in lately. And that's just something to take into consideration, I think. In the other FA Cup matches, Ella Mason scored four goals for Championship side Lewis as they beat Cardiff City 6-1. We had an abundance of goals just across the board. Uh, Bunny Shaw scored four as well to put Man City in the quarterfinal alongside WSL sides Manchester United, Brighton, Reading and Aston Villa. We won't go through all of those scorelines. Hopefully people have caught up already. The only non-WSL sides left in the competition now are Lewis and Birmingham City. No big upsets then. We didn't have the magic of the FA Cup as it were, but the FA Cup might have been uh, lacking that bit of drama from that point of view. But the international stage, that has certainly made up for it. So, Wendy Renard, Khadidia Diani, and Marie Antoinette Katoto have said they're quitting the France squad for now in a protest against the current system. Katoto said that she isn't aligned with the team's management or their values. I'm sure we'll start to hear more about the reasoning. It's got to come out somehow. I'm sure journalists over there are on the case as we speak. What we do know already is that coach Corinne Diacre has had a strained relationship with players, hasn't she? Amadine Henri, the all-time top scorer as well, Eugenie Lesamere, uh, Sarah Bouadi, we could add into the mix. Diacre also took the captaincy away from Renard for a period, but then did give it back to her. 
I was being asked about World Cup favourites on Sky Sports recently, and I spoke about Germany, USA, England, and I didn't mention France because there's just too much going on there. <laughs> they are littered with talent, but in a World Cup year, this isn't ideal. No, I, I remember watching them against the Netherlands in Rotherham <laughs> uh, last year at the Euros. I, I just remember feeling almost in awe of what I was watching in front of me with just how how sharp they were, how quick they moved the ball, how they knew what they were doing. But if the stuff beneath the football isn't really at the player's needs, then maybe it's needed. And maybe the fact that they aren't favourites this year because of that doesn't matter. Because Mm -hmm. if you actually want to look at the foundations of how things are run, not just for this year, but you think about say probably in in 20 years time yeah it's like the bigger picture isn't it you know I'm reading something about them as well when players are reported to be crying in corridors like post games and while they're at camps and stuff and it's quite a worrying environment that they're having to deal with that whilst playing at major tournaments and you've kind of got to worry a little bit for the players mental health as well in that and their you know their well-being and they've you know they've obviously stepped down because they don't feel like that's being protected as well so not only are the they're not getting maybe supported in terms of the conditions and what they're playing in, but also no one's really looking after them from a wellbeing standpoint, which is, again, quite you know quite alarming, really. Mm-hmm. So as you say, I think, yeah, maybe they're not favourites for this year, but has what they've done actually been you know potentially a good thing, and they've used their voices for good, maybe for the future of French female football. Taking a stance in a World Cup year, I think, could be hugely to their benefit because mm-hmm. there might not have been that urgency to react. Um, whereas now I think that the Federation are going to have to look at the World Cup impending and think, right, if something needs to change, it needs to change quickly. It does add, though, Fern, and, and with your role at the PFA, you're the perfect person to ask about this. It adds to other countries as well. So we've seen issues for Canada, Spain. We know about the ongoing uh, legal wranglings as well with Scotland wanting equal pay. I mean, how can players get federations to listen or would you be out of a job? I think obviously every federation, as you say, is different and how they're trying to do it is by using their voice, which I think in, you know, especially in the PFA in England, that's what we would encourage. We would encourage players to to use the voices for good and know that they've got the backing of the PFA to support them. However, I did find it interesting when I saw Wendy Renard's statement that when the French Federation came out with their statement, it was, you know, yes, we'll look into it, but no player is above the French Federation. So, the question is how much are they actually listening to what the players are saying? And I think for us, maybe at the PFA, that we've maybe just stressed the value of a union, really, just stressed the value of maybe using your voices collectively, which I think, obviously, when they Wendy Reynolds a, you know, a lucrative figure, but the fact that she had all these players come out and do it with her, it made for more of a stance. So it would be using your unions as much as possible to make a collective stand, which is what we potentially would encourage because the the union couldn't lobby really on the players behalf rather than the players having to do it them, themselves individually so it would be interesting to see what you know what backing they had of their their French union out there or if they even do use the union as much out there as much as maybe players might do in this country 
Yeah, I wonder as well if even more might happen in the next few months as well. Yeah, um, sure. especially across the world world football. This is how it stands though at Monday lunchtime as we record. It is a developing story. I'm sure there's even going to be more announced this week. Uh, do keep across it. Head to the Athletic. Players are standing up to fight their team management. They're also fighting online against increased levels of abuse. Uh, producer Sophie caught up with Casey Mackin, the COO of Arito Labs, which uses artificial intelligence to track and counteract online abuse towards athletes along with Rebecca Soden who people may recall from being a New Zealand international also founder of Team Heroin and Correct the Internet Uh, they chatted about how to make the internet a better place for sportswomen Casey and Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast we're incredibly excited to have you and I think This is a really important topic to be talking about, especially as women's football is growing so much. You're coming into a World Cup year off the back of the Lionesses' success at the Euros. We've seen that this is a real issue that women's footballers are facing. We just had an article actually in The Athletic uh, from Karen Carney, who actually said she had an anxiety attack on air because of the social media abuse she's facing. But what I love about what Areto is doing is it has the data, right? And and you guys did a study together about how it affected the Lionesses at the Euros, didn't you? And I, I kind of wanted, maybe we'll start with Casey, if you could tell me a bit more sure. about that. And I was quite shocked that five athletes received 62% of the, of the abuse on that. Mm-hmm. And not only, just to put this in context, of all the, I think, seven teams that we attract uh, and a number of different athletes, the Lionesses were mentioned in 88%, either the Lionesses or an athlete from the Lionesses was mentioned in the comments. So I think that can give you an idea of just the volume of of messages received. And then obviously with uh, that higher profile, more audience engagement, we saw, you know, record not record numbers in viewership. I think that just obviously increases people's, um, you know, public awareness and then that feeling of, you know, wanting to engage. I think one of the most disturbing things around the Lionesses report for me was that we saw it, the the goal scoring ability of these young stars, you know, the Chloe Kellys, the Alessia Russos come on and they were the ones copying the most abuse. So it was just Mm -hmm. crazy to see these heroines of the game and the team that they were just attracting so much attention, but also with that came the abuse. And, you know, what could these women be doing wrong? You know, they're scoring amazing goals. They're youngsters. They're performing at their best for their country. Yeah, that was what really disturbed me, to think they were still attracting so much online hate. Yeah, and what what could they be doing better? It wasn't even because they were having a shocking performance. So that was pretty alarming. Definitely. So Alessia Russo was was top and then it was Beth Mead, Leah Williamson, Ella Toon and Chloe Kelly all had outstanding performances in the Euros, as as you say. (laughs) And I think what's interesting maybe will be the effect of that going forward. You know, could, could that then affect their performances going forward? And I know Rebecca, you've talked a bit about kind of the impact of mental health can, can have on performance and kind of, and also if the athletes can't perform or they can't go on social media, it also affects the sponsors, doesn't it? And the fans and the organisations. And I also think in women's football, there's a pressure to keep being on social media to promote the sport or earn that extra money that, that they might need. Absolutely. It's just such a negative cycle that perpetuates itself. So 
you know, we as as women and a player myself, you know, I'm just writing a paper on kind of communication style to girls versus boys. And we know that women and girls probably need that confidence boost and that's when they're playing at their best. And when they're not and all this pressure from social media and everything kind of affects that performance, like you say, they might be hesitant to go on social media. You know, Karen Carney is one who just tries to stay off it because of all the abuse she's copped. But we need that. That's one of the unique traits about women's sport and women's football is their social media savviness, their ability to relate, you know, fans to relate to them, to connect with people. So that social media content, that building their profile, um, we also know that athletes kind of drive interest in teams, which drives interest in the league. So it has the, all these flow-on effects. And again, like you say, that you know, social media following, that, that um, visibility, that connection with fans, it all affects sponsorship investment and visibility. So it's just this really negative cycle that can impact the whole ecosystem. Casey, I think this is where Areto comes in, isn't it? Using AI. And I think we should zoom Absolutely. in on what the AI is doing and how that even works. Often the solutions to this are very localized. It's kind of what should that mm-hmm. one athlete be doing to respond? Whereas I think mm-hmm. this AI produces a kind of way of doing it on a larger scale. So Absolutely. could you tell us kind of how the AI determines what the risk is and the likely emotions that, that these posts can elicit? The whole purpose of, of Areto is to automate that digital community management. And I think it's something that is growing, um, obviously, as a job. But in particular within sport, I think there's some work to be done around what that ownership is, who who owns the duty of care around athletes. The product is very much built out for athletes, for teams, um, and for leagues that want to protect their athletes by doing that automated digital management for them, community management for them. And then as far as the AI and how it works, we do our sort of in-house training of our language models that we've trained to detect a number of different types of language. So ableist language, racist, misogynistic, um, that's really tailored to sports. So we tend to catch the types of language that traditionally can fall through the regular sentiment analysis tools, and then provide a number of actions based on that. So we set the threshold to our customer's liking and then do a number of moderation and counteractive measures. So when you find that abuse online or or it's detected by the AI, what is then done about it? Because I think often when people receive those messages, they don't really know what to do because if you report it to social media companies, often very little happens. You know, it's, it's hard to know what to do with it. So what does what does Zareto do to kind of counteract it? Absolutely. So we can auto delete. So we work with the platforms within the rules of the platform. So Twitter's rules are uh, different versus meta. Uh, so a number of different options between auto blocking, reporting, hiding. So those sort of like auto moderation tools. Uh, And then as far as counteractive measures, built-in measures that allow organizations, leagues, coaches, teams to check in on athletes and do pulse checks that we like to call them. So how are you doing today? We noticed there's been a spike in this. You know, what are some resources we can send you? That kind of thing. So it automates that and makes sure that it's done in real time when you can actually catch it that puts the onus on someone else to manage it instead of the athlete themselves. And then other different types of measures, we've got some auto response features 
as well as a boost signal that we like to call because exactly that, having come from a world of communications and social media management, you often, you know, you read this and you sort of wonder, what do I do? Is it that bad? And you become numb after a while to it, which makes you disengage, which negatively impacts all kinds of things. And so this is a way to uh, boost your community and your support group to say like, hey, this is, you know, I'm experiencing this type of thing. So we've been playing around with that, but have big, big plans on our tech roadmap to to really build that out so that it is much more proactive and in real time at scale across a number of different platforms. And Rebecca, in, in the report, you have a kind of six step action plan, don't you, at the end of it to kind of say what things can be done. I wonder if you can tell us kind of what what the key you think is in that. I think there's a lot about kind of collaborative work and and not tackling it on your own, as, as Casey's been referencing. Absolutely. And I think with the women's sport community and football community as a whole, it's a very collective kind of team spirit. You know, everyone's great at coming together. And and that's what we say here. It, it really is a collective effort. So you know, it's not just about the players doing it, the the coaches, the teams, but also even sponsors. So we've seen some great sponsor projects come out and use this kind of data and these tools as their leverage campaigns. So the likes of EE Hope United in the UK, you know, they came out raising awareness of the abuse that particularly female soccer players get compared to their male counterparts. And that's just a sad reality of the, the game. So they're not only raising awareness, but offering education around how to prevent that, you know, and even um, tools themselves. So as Casey was saying, you know, it's not on the athlete, the onus, you know, they can kind of come in and there's there's ways for sponsors to play a part in that with their own messaging, like, hey, we think you're fantastic, Beth Mead, or, you know, kind of skewing that conversation in a more positive light. So for me, it's definitely a collective effort, and this should be across kind of all stakeholders within the community. And Rebecca, I would say Rebecca, having been a former pro athlete, Mm -hmm. uh, would probably have a lot, you know, a lot more perspective on this from like managing that from from your own perspective as an athlete. Well, funnily enough, I'm showing my age here, but um, social media wasn't probably around or huge when I was kind of at my peak career. And back in the day, you know, we we weren't quite seeing the um, popularity of women's football that we are now. So I, I probably can't talk too much to the peak athlete performance and attention but obviously I'm a, produced a lot of content on the likes of LinkedIn which you know is probably more business platform not um you know what the athletes are experiencing but even there you know it's amazing the type of comments or abuse you do get and even as someone who's a bit older and understands you know that these people or comments kind of aren't worthy of your own attention not only does it detract it definitely impacts you so part of a um, campaign called Correct the Internet at the moment that's trying to tackle gender bias against sports on it. Hey, Internet. Who has scored the most goals in international football? Cristiano Ronaldo has scored 118 goals in international football. What about Christine Sinclair? How many goals has she scored in international football? Christine Sinclair has scored 190 goals in international football. Well then, who scored the most goals in international football? Cristiano Ronaldo has scored 118 goals in international football. That's not right. Are you sure? Yeah, it's hard not to get caught up in all the comments. We had Billie Jean King share one of our posts, which was fantastic, you know, 
such an icon in the space and just the abuse she received from literally kind of raising awareness around sportswomen was just, it really kind of bothered me for the rest of the day. So it does affect you um, and it definitely detracts and it just can change your mood for the whole day. Um, and it's hard not to get caught up in that and quite down on the whole ecosystem. So definitely has impact from both a time resource but um, emotional standpoint as well. I think that correct the internet campaign is so interesting. We did a quiz in the men's football world cup about stats that forget the women. You say who's scored the most in goals in international mm-hmm. football. And, you know, they'll say that the stats will say, yeah. Oh, Ronaldo has now done this. And this is Christine Sinclair. So I think we're, we're really interested in, in that topic. And what I noticed actually was when you type in uh, world cup, 2023 into google Mm -hmm. everything is is rugby the men's rugby and i think that's quite interesting isn't it because surely that creates issues for promoting women's sport and generating interest and kind of growing that world cup product absolutely and i think that's kind of the aim of correct the internet it's trying to increase the visibility of women's sport and sportswomen because again we talk about this negative or, or hopefully virtuous cycle that if sportswomen are brought more to the front, then again, that media coverage increases. You get more participants being inspired because I guess the, the reason it all started was if you're a little girl or a little boy going to do a school project and you type in, oh, who's got the most goals, it naturally comes up with Ronaldo when actually you have to dig a bit deeper or kind of know something about women's football to realise actually it's Christine Sinclair. And it was all built around the idea that if you enter a non-gendered question, you should get a non-gendered response. So while it might seem like a small thing, the flow-on effects are massive again. So that visibility piece, but then it kind of goes around in circles. It reinforces women's sport as that second-tier product in the men's game. Again, we know that affects kind of viewership, participation, sponsorship. So not only are we trying to raise awareness around inaccuracies around women's sport, so people can kind of question things and not always take it with a grain of salt, but also actually creating that action to get these results changed. And there's kind of no black or white with the information we're pulling out, the factual statistics, like who's got the most goals, who's got the most caps for England and such. So it's kind of no debate. It's not about who's the best. It's just factually correct information. And I think back in our day, you know, we had the encyclopedia, which everyone would refer to as kind of true whereas everyone now today goes to google to find that answer so the information's wrong there it's just reinforcing all that bias and and those stereotypes around the women's game it's just so reinforcing other areas as well and that was a big challenge for us at aretto in that language is very biased it has Mm -hmm. internal bias in it and so um, that's why it's really also important to train your language models with a variety and a, a, a diverse form of language instead of um you know, traditional forms of uh, newspapers, that kind of thing. And so it really does. It reinforces uh, those same biases. And so it's important using, I think, tech to be able to detect that and sort of retrain ourselves out of it because it is, you know, both it can be inherent and and subconscious as well. Uh, And so it's sometimes those microaggressions that over time can be far more insidious uh, and and have an impact. Like Casey says, it's even though it seems like something small, it's these bigger pictures and it's just reinforcing all these stereotypes, all these inherent bias and keeping the game in a second tier or second lens level 
just to end, I was just wondering if you had anything else you wanted to add maybe about kind of your hopes for the future of this and where you see this going and also tell people where they can go to to access all the great services that you guys have been uh, been working on. Absolutely. We have uh, big, big plans. You can follow along um, our website, arettolabs.com. We are planning to do another report and really, really very keenly interested in going after women in sport. We think that market is huge and growing and we love to be a part of it. So uh, check us out, arettolabs.com, and you'll find everything you need there. Yeah, and I just add to that, you know, I think we all know 100-year ban, you know, the ground women's football particularly has to make up. We have to do something different, just doing the status quo or following the men's football path isn't going to cut it. So we need to be doing things bigger, bolder, thinking outside the box. And innovation and technology is such a key part of being able to achieve that. So with the likes of Aredo Labs, we can really jump ahead or something like Correct the Internet. And, you know, again, um, along with Aredo, you can head to correctthenternet.com and actually submit feedback to help correct some of these search engine results and, and give sportswomen and women's sport the recognition and visibility they deserve. Everyone needs to get on it. <laughs> Thank you so much, mm. both. I really appreciate you taking the time. No worries. Thank you for having us. That was producer Sophie speaking to Casey Mackin and Rebecca Soden. You'd think that one of the things that comes out of this, and just from listening to Sophie's interview, but also some of the research I've done myself, it does feel like there's too much victim blaming going on. So the onus seems to be on the athlete to either remove themselves, like we've seen Karen Carney is no longer visible on social media after what happened. But doesn't the tackling of abuse have to begin with the perpetrators rather than going to the athletes and making them take action. Yeah, I mean, you're dealing with people at the end of the day on both ends. And you, I guess, have to find out what goes behind the decision making to, I guess, hurl that abuse at someone and then also try to tackle it as early as possible. And I think what you're seeing is people who maybe, even though they're young, been brought up with, I guess, certain narratives around them and their first instinct is to just copycat off that whereas if you're say exposed to women's football as a child when when you're a male so for me for instance I guess my first memories of women's football was seeing the FA Cup final on BBC one or two whatever it was on at the end of every season and obviously I'm an Arsenal fan so that was <laughs> a, a very good time um, for that team but for me, um, that almost, I don't know, it just kind of normalized it for me straight away. Um, I didn't really see any difference. So I guess it's a very difficult one, but how do you then normalize it as early as possible would be mm. my thinking. And just so it's not a kind of the thing to do in terms of get on Twitter and, and hurl some abuse at someone. The one thing that we can say about all children is they love a bit of glory hunting, don't they? If you're successful, <laughs> <laughs> they're going to get on board. And the Lionesses winning a trophy already, the European Championships has started something. I think we can all agree on that. There are many new schemes to improve the world of sport for women. A new working group as well has just been set up to decide how the English women's professional game should look in the future. Fern, you're also working towards creating a more diverse game as well, part of your role with the C achieve it campaign what have you made 
made of this new group that's been set up and also the appointments that have been part of it? Yeah, I think in, in terms of the board, I would potentially maybe have liked to have seen a little bit more diversity on there. I would have liked to have seen maybe a PFA re- representative on there as well, if I'm being a little bit controversial, just so we can have that view from the players as well in terms of how they might see the league looking and developing, getting their opinions. But I think it's on the whole, it's good that we've got this board to be able to look at the future of the game, especially you can see there's a lot of CEOs, a lot of executives on there. So it's going to be a high end business model. We're going to be looking to how we commercialise and professionalise the game, especially through the women's championship. You know, the gap maybe between the, the WSL and the championship when they're playing each other is still quite big. So we want to try and bring the championship up to speed in terms of the WSL as well. So the fact that we have that board, I think, is good. We just want to make sure that we get as much diverse thinking, as much diversity on these boards as possible. So it's still on high on the agenda. But again, it's a question of if it wasn't when you were forming the group, is it going to be when you're going forward in the conversations that you're having? So, yeah, but we Mm. we like to hope that, you know, it's going to change as it goes on. And the fact that we do have Arsenal's chief executive and I in there, that he will he will make that a, a large agenda and Diane as well. So we've got voices in there. It just would have been nice maybe if we had some more. Diversity is one thing, but it's actually getting the diverse people who know what what they're on about is is the main thing you want to do and you see i guess with vinay he's very experienced uh being at arsenal for i believe around 10 years in a lot of different roles before becoming uh ceo a few years ago and taking a really big kind of onus on what's been happening with the the women's team and i feel like yeah that that's the the main thing for me getting people who know how to get things done Vinay is a very big supporter of the PFA's Asian inclusion scheme as okay, well. Yeah. So yeah, as you're saying in terms of that, it's he's got the right you know intentions in there. He's a very big supporter of that, so it does have diversity at the heart of the work that he does. So not necessarily the number of the people, but the the specificity of the people that are in the group is really important. Fern, picking up on the See It Achieve It campaign as well. What is the latest there? At the moment, we're in the process of connecting the players, which basically means the players in WSL. So connecting them together, forming a a network for them to be mentors to the under-21s and academy players, just to make sure that those academy players have got support, really, on their journey throughout football, to aim to keep them in the game as long as possible, to potentially then see um, a more diverse group of players in the future. I've been working a little bit as well with the FA on... They've got a Discover My Talent programme, which is about unearthing the, the most diverse talent within the UK. And hopefully we can get to see it achieve it joined in with that. So we get them players looked after as soon as possible. So when we chatted on here last time with Ava and Patience, they were talking about trying to get support as young as possible. So it really kind of tweaked my ears as to how we do that. So, yeah, there's some really exciting conversations going on and just making sure that, you know, we don't lose any players at grassroots level. We keep them all the way through into WSL. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Lindsay Hooper. 
Coming up at the weekend, the WSL returns and it's the Conti Cup final between Chelsea and Arsenal. We've already given some thoughts on this. If we get a dummy free kick that goes in, (laughs) I'm going to love that. (laughs) Uh, Don't forget as well to enter our competition to win tickets to the Conti Cup final. You can head to at the Athletic FC on Twitter. We'll be posting details on there. Um, How about WSL matches? Because we've got that return as well. Um, We've got a few happening. Manchester United against Leicester, Everton, Aston Villa, Man City Spurs, Reading West Ham and taking into consideration some of those FA Cup results as well which one takes your fancy here? For me the most intriguing one is Man City Tottenham. Snap. Yeah I think that's the one that could be most entertaining for me. I don't mean to get on Rianne Skinner's back because (laughs) I really like her but the amount of defeats now isn't aren't we up to now this could be eight in a row but the feels like there's more pressure now because she had some spending power for Earn, bought in Bethany England, as we know, that wasn't a cheap signing, but Mana Uabuchi as well, that wouldn't have been cheap either. There has to be some turnaround there soon. Yeah, definitely. I think she'd probably argue that, you know, at the start of the season, losing significant players out to injury maybe hindered them at the start. You know, Ellie Brazil doing her ACL very early on was a big loss for them. Um, they've now got Kit Graham come back into the side. I've seen she was part of the FA Cup side yesterday. So I think that's a really positive sign for them. And obviously, Beth England scored in her last three games, was it playing for uh, Tottenham, even though they all ended in defeat. So she's on a good that run was a of record. scoring. <laughs> yeah, was a record, which, she, which she didn't like. But yeah, she's on a good run of scoring now. So I think it'll be a really intriguing game as to whether if they can. They've scored in the games they've played since the new year, which is a positive form. It's just the fact that they're, you know, they're leaking so many goals. They look poor defensively. And it's at the academy stadium. You could see Bethany England getting another and still being on the losing side though before. Mm. It's seven defeats in a row in the league that they, they've had. So this could be number eight. Let's hope it's just entertaining, full stop. And I, I would love to see Spurs halt this run because I do think they've got a lot to offer in WSL. But let's see. Uh, that's all we have time for on this week's Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Uh, Fern, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for chatting football today. Yeah, always love to do so. And Art, good luck with all of those deadlines. Are you feeling more zen now? So luckily I managed to get one through before coming on so that's one out the way a podcast out the way and I guess we have to see what the rest of the week brings (laughs) I think it's time to boil that kettle and thanks to producer Sophie but most of all thanks to you for listening again please keep in touch on socials using the hashtag athletic WFP you can tag us in on your thoughts at the athletic FC and at offside rule pod we'll see you next time The Athletic.